Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name's Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I am joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst. I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm a podcast person, and I'm here this fortnight to talk about Naked Lunch, one of my favourite movies. It's amazing. I really hope Dan feels the same way, but we'll see. And hopefully he does feel the same way, because this was your choice, right, Dan? (laughs) <laughs> yeah it was i must say i'm slightly surprised you like it as much as you do I'm, I'm very glad we've had conversations in the past where your opinion of Burroughs, maybe not as a creative but as a person were, were somewhat mixed <laughs> is that fair yeah i think it's fair to say that i'm not a massive fan of william burroughs and one of the main reasons i'm not a massive fan of him is one of the things that's actually explored in this film and in terms of mixing adaptation and biography this is one of the best representations of art and the artist, of the creative process, the bravery required to be a transgressive writer, and I mean bravery working in the face of fear. Naked Lunch is is a masterpiece, I really think it is, and I imagine writers will get the most out of it. It's so rich, it's got the paranoia, the doubt, the high of getting it right, it's all here, what a movie. And yeah, when we last kind of talked about Burroughs, I was a bit younger. I think I hadn't made as much. And there is a part of this film that makes me see him as a human being rather than a caricature. And I think it's the caricature that I really hate. Yeah, I think that was definitely how he was presented to us, you know, who were relatively young at the end of his life. Yeah. He was always a larger-than-life character, and I think that the our access to sort of real accounts, especially if you hadn't yet read the sort of more biographical writings of his, were a little harder to get at, maybe, when we were younger. Yeah. And I think that particularly if you have like personal reasons for objecting to him, the fact is that he represents a lot that is reprehensible in people, and I find him fascinating because I think he was very open about his flaws in his writing. I don't think he was ever trying to say that he was the victim. I don't think he was ever trying to say that he was he should be overtly forgiven. I think there was a lot of self-hatred there mm. within him. But there was also a lot of, but this is who I am. And I found that very fascinating. Absolutely. Let, we're going to go into spoilers here, Precious Arrowheads. So maybe skip ahead. Oh, I don't know how long to say to skip it's, ahead. I, I don't even think you... I, I The thing I think you're about to mention happens pretty early in the film and is quite famous in his real life so is it that big a spoiler i want to get into stuff at the very end and in the lead up to to stuff at the very end as well so the two main issues that i have with burrows i kind of hate edgelord oh i take drugs and i write you know and drugs fuel my writing and i think that's investigated here in a really really interesting way but it's in the third act. And the other thing, obviously, that I take issue with is the fact that he did, whilst under the influence, him and his wife used to have a party trick where they do the William Tell routine where he'd shoot something off her head and he accidentally shot her in the head. And that kind of became part of his legend. Yeah. And I hated that. It's pretty gross. Yeah. It's pretty fucking gross. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. However, the way this film represents those two things and kind of combines them in a weird kind of way gave me more of an insight into Burroughs' frailty and humanity and uh, you know actually the cost of his success and so we are I am going to spoil a little bit here there's two scenes that really were very kind of 
powerful for me. One is where he goes where all the mugwumps are being kind of... Yeah, the opium den. Exactly. And this idea that um, I wonder if one of Burroughs' doubts was if he is fueled by drugs for his writing, then drugs are openly accessible to all in this world and (laughs) in the world he was operating in as a writer. And so anyone can have the power that he has but then you realize that one of the things that the movie's saying is actually it's burrow's tragedy that helped to make him the great writer he was yeah. um it wasn't just the drugs it was the stuff that he was using the drugs to escape potentially but you can never escape events like that they'll always be a part of you and both in terms of his inner world but also in terms of his legacy and how we think about burrows it's the thing that people kind of always say when they talk about him you know oh he shot his wife in the head by accident yeah and to carry that weight around with you i think that's part of what that kind of end sequence is saying i don't know what were your thoughts or kind of interpretations of this film because um, obviously it's so rich. Yeah, I mean, I think the other the other side of what you're talking about with his reliance on drugs and him recognizing, or or at least you know feeling that his creativity came from his his use of these drugs, particularly early in his career, mm. is this fear that who is he without them? Right. That they become the person. And I think one of the interesting ways to look at the idea of this legend of Burroughs that we were sort of fed in the late '90s, early thousands, is that. The, the version of Burroughs that we were being fed really was just the drugs and mm. not the person. And that's one of the reasons I, I, I enjoyed this rewatch so much. I haven't seen this film in a few years. And I think I hadn't, like, like you're saying, you know, it, it shows this sort of hum, human side of Burroughs that I think I maybe hadn't realised was so much about him as an individual rather mm. than about this this sort of fictionalised version of him in the movie. Yeah. And the idea that, that he is terrified about losing who he is you know the idea that in the film he's playing so you know he's playing an agent a double agent he's he's pretending to be people the talk of homosexuality as a cover yeah which you know obviously reflects the fact that burroughs was very unwilling to hide things about himself just because they were socially unacceptable Mm. whether that was the the drug use you know addiction or his sexuality or whatever and i think that it is very easy to sort of misread this or for him himself to slip into this being an edgelord thing Mm. but also it is a refusal to be told who you can and can't be by society and i think that makes him a, a very compelling character particularly like the the stuff of his i read before i read naked lunch which i think i read it about 14 15 i'd already read junkie by that point i don't think i'd read queer yet i found him a very interesting person before his more creative stuff fascinated me as well cronenberg is we know he's a genius we know that he's someone who can take on impossible to adapt books and and make them into masterpiece movies but i think this is a an underrated uh, film in his filmography and i think that what he's doing here is better than stuff that he does in crash i think it's a real passionate exploration of an artist in a really unique and very very clever way it's a very 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 clever film electrifying and relaxing at the same time <laughs> maybe i'm the yeah, only it's oddly yeah it's oddly calming isn't it yes exactly good i'm glad you feel the same way like it's like a weird 
very calming comfort movie because it has and we I, this i know this is a phrase we use a lot on this podcast but it has this kind of dream logic to it yes. you do feel like you're kind of floating downstream with that movie right absolutely absolutely and i would say it's probably the best movie about being a freelance writer i think i've ever seen sometimes <laughs> writing for websites feels like typing into a bug with an anus for a mouth that's for sure it's just a really beautifully put together movie like from the opening credit sequence which is very simple but feels very 50s very stylish and i'd actually honestly watch a short film with those colors crossing over with jazz music playing underneath and cronenberg actually talks about the credit sequence on the commentary and the influence is very obvious and very clear the production design the props like there's a serrated knife in this that i'd love to to own like on every level this is just a beautifully put together movie right yeah absolutely gorgeous production design set design like costume like lighting obviously yeah um the special effects very obviously uh yeah absolutely delightful it really is and in terms of the performances i think peter weller his choices were criticized i think i think a lot of people see him as being quite stiff especially if you directly compare to Burroughs, who's very unique and charismatic. But I love the choice to to keep it stoic. Yeah. Because it's about an internal world being externalised. So it really, really works for me. Every fibre of his skin is acting in this film. He's yeah, not checking absolutely. out. Like He's really in the character and really in the moment. He's, yeah, he's so consumed by what's going on around him. Yes. He also absolutely personifies any conversation anyone's ever had with someone who's on a high dose of psychoactive substances. Right. Like, he is, he's just, like, so overwhelmed. He's yes. slightly paralysed. I don't have too much else to say about the movie itself. Uh, I do want to do a relatively deep dive into the extras, but is there anything else that you'd like to say about the movie or the direction and the writing? What were your feelings on this watch? I think I was just surprised at how unbelievably fresh it felt. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. I've not seen it for a number of years. Obviously, the full restoration helps with that it yeah. feels unbelievably clean i first saw it on vhs and i very much enjoyed it for its weirdness but i don't think at that age i was ready for what it was like talking about and dealing with mm. not that i felt it was inappropriate but just that i think i didn't get enough of it yeah so while i liked it i it like in those early years having watched it, it it didn't in my heart hold a candle to you know the sort of the more explicit and bombastic Cronenberg stuff but as you said I I think it it's definitely up there among his best especially now watching it you know all these years later it's it's so nuanced and it's so smart it's yeah I love it absolutely and did it change for you like as a creative like as a creator because obviously i'm talking about it you know in writing terms but there's a lot here about how we bring who we are into what we make yeah absolutely and i think that i you know obviously you know that i i do write but not in the same way that you do or or, or definitely not in the same way that someone like Burroughs does i'm very lucky in that what i do is almost uniquely social Mm -hmm. in its output i'm so reliant on my team I'm so reliant on collaboration with writers and directors and so rarely does my stuff exist in a vacuum that I don't think I've ever experienced that sort of like brutal solitude that someone staring down the barrel of a deadline with 
500 pages still to write <laughs> must experience oh absolutely i'm also thinking about writers and and artists who tap into their dark side to create because you know this film's about yeah, that I mean, too I... and and you definitely do because of all the grotesque horror that you envision and bring into the world yeah i, I don't like it's such a it's a weird one i don't <laughs> i don't know what this says about me but like i've always been so unbelievably cheerful about the most horrible things i'm <laughs> creating any trauma that i have in myself yeah. is isn't going to be represented by ripping someone apart or yeah you know brutalizing someone on screen like that like yeah, i yeah. have emotional stuff that i'm I, you know i deal with as a person i think we all do but mm. but the I think a lot of the stuff that I deal with is so that I deal with making I mean is so extreme that really my job often I mean quite aside from the practicalities of making this stuff is about finding that hair's breadth of middle ground between something that's so extreme it's ludicrous mm. and it therefore won't have the desired effect on the audience and and pushing it just into that space of relatability for the audience uh and i really enjoy like like you know it's I, I don't want to come across as a sadist because I don't think it's a sadistic trait, but obviously there's nothing more satisfying than watching someone squirm. We're doing some tests in the workshop at the moment for something which I can't talk about in any explicit detail, but uh, a couple of members of my staff have been quite upset by some of the tests that we're doing. Like, you know, it's all it's all very jovial and, and no one's being forced to do anything they don't want. But, but when you can make someone who is around this stuff every day go, oh God, I can't look at that, that's horrible, then... Yeah, you know you're doing something right. <laughs> As you well know, you work in the industry. We're in a phase of trauma exploitation. Is is uh, probably the oh, yeah. best way of describing it. And I wonder if that is partly why Naked Lunch A feels so current and modern, and B was rejected at the time because that wasn't what horror was doing. You know, in the '90s, really. Whereas now it's very, very kind of on brand and on trend <laughs> um how do you feel yeah. about trauma exploitation uh, in general i mean i to be honest i kind of love it like yeah. i i don't want anyone to feel like their experiences are being cheapened mm. um, yeah. Yeah, yeah and i and i th and i think that that is the knife edge that we that we straddle <laughs> mm. with that kind of stuff now yeah um because it's very easy for that kind of stuff to be seen as a as a cheap use of something that someone's been through mm, but i think absolutely. whether it's an artist ex like dealing with stuff that they've experienced and externalizing that for their own you know for their own benefit mm. which is obviously always valid but also i think that these things can be explored in a way that isn't just punching down oh definitely um, yeah. and there have been a handful of quite successful films that i think fit into that that subgenre that i object to that, that have left me feeling icky in a way that i don't like and obviously i want to be there feeling icky and often i think it's because the sort of the sights of that trauma of exploitation are being pointed in the wrong direction i think yeah absolutely it's an interesting one but because it comes at a time when we are societally like much more concerned about people's feelings than we have been in the past and and you know obviously a lot of stuff is fucking garbage at the moment and it's horrible and we hate it but i do think that in the in the grand scheme of things the majority of people are being more aware of of other people's experiences and are trying to be more considerate with that stuff so it's interesting to see that balancing act yeah absolutely yeah it really is and like i say like looking at naked lunch through that lens gave me sympathy or uh, at least a feeling of uh, fellow humanity towards Burroughs that I actually didn't have before yeah. and so that's something else that 
art can do that is very 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 valuable um and spe- speaking of which my god there's an extra on here like this whole disc was electrifying for me and and, and very amazing. inspirational the the peter weller interview for me oh my goodness yeah, yes only equaled by heather buckley's clive barker interview on the Candyman disc that um arrow also puts out it's the kind of interview that makes me understand people following religious figures. Um, sign me up yeah, for whatever. It's, like, oh, it's an hour and 20 minutes or something, isn't it? It's well is selling absolutely profound and powerful and wonderful. Yeah, amazing. Like he is a, a wonderful storyteller, very intelligent, has experiences and encounters with some of the most interesting people throughout history let alone within film but within all the arts and yeah just the passion and the power it feels like it's the last thing he's ever going to say this interview do you know what i mean it has that level of impact yeah it's fantastic i i noticed quite early on he had obviously spilt some water on himself right <laughs> and he has a wet mark on his shirt and i became lightly obsessed with it because i knew that if it disappeared they'd had to stop right and dry him off right right, right. and i was and, and i was and i could almost feel like i was in the room with everyone being aware of it and no one wanting to stop his flow because it's so raw yeah and it's so honest so i watched the i watched the film on the 4k and i watched some of the extras on the 4k and then i watched some of the some of the extras on arrow player because a lot of them were on arrow player as well and this is one that i watched on arrow player oh yeah, yeah. and i was uh, i was watching it in the kitchen we're finishing it up while having supper before we recorded actually and, and jen jen was uh, sort of coming back and forth and she was like my goodness this man is a fantastically enthusiastic ally <laughs> right yeah exactly absolutely that's a yeah. huge part of it but the rawness that's really what i connect with from what you just said that is the perfect word to describe it and there's a moment when he's talking where he looks at the camera early on and it feels like he's peering into your soul it's so wonderful and i know that you know the cliche is to say that oh this extra is worth the the cost of the disc alone but I would honestly say that in this case, everyone who loves film, everyone who has an interest in the arts or their fellow human beings needs to see this extra. But as you say, it's on the uh, Arrow streaming service in the UK. is isn't on the US one, unfortunately. But it is oh, is it not? In the okay, UK. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. And it's, it's basically feature length as well. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then there's, there's also a couple of audio commentaries. I thought they were both excellent, but obviously I prefer Cronenberg's. Um, of course. But there are pauses for thought in that one, which, you know, I'm never really a, a fan of. But the writer kind of critic commentary flows better, even though there is repeated information. It is worth listening uh, to both. Though <laughs> I really want to... There was a bit where I really thought of you, Dan, where they were talking about practical effects. I wasn't too sure about their thoughts on solid effects, or at least the terminology they use. They go from talking about proper effects which is very sweet to physical effects which is you know correct to visual effects all being the same thing um which is funny if you're (laughs) an effects nerd but very sweet and and their heart's in the right place what they're saying actually is of value and they are talking about their love of of this thing that i guess they haven't 
you know look too deeply into but they know that it strikes a chord within their soul so i i respect that and you know i'm glad i'm glad that they they talked about it but it just is funny if you're a if you're a nerd um <laughs> one of the things that's so like obviously it's it's fine that like your your average viewer or even your average academic and writer yes don't necessarily know all of the specific nomenclature of practical yes. special effects yeah it's more frustrating when the people hiring you <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't know what they're asking for of course uh and i try to I try not to be too passive aggressive with my constant uh school for get it right <laughs> thing is like the stuff that chris wallace made for the, and his team obviously made for this is fantastic and some of it is mind-blowing even by modern standards just yeah. so beautiful god yeah um even on the 4k you know yeah. uhd it holds up it's it, in fact it's even more beautiful the the, the clearer you can yeah. see it which isn't always the case as you know yeah absolutely i've recently become absolutely obsessed with looking at the jawline of uh, creatures Oh, interesting. <laughs> Specifically where the neck meets the head. It's right. a real, uh, it's an Achilles heel, if you'll forget me. Uh, forgive me mixing my anatomy. Yes, an um, Achilles neck. I I recently went to see, re, to rewatch uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at the Prince Charles. Oh, um, wow. Jen and I went with our friends Alex and Ruth and uh, had a lovely time. But beforehand, they showed about an hour of like, clips of live action tv and live action appearances and adverts mm. and bits of cartoon and all this kind of stuff and i mean obviously the henson's stuff is is fantastic the henson's puppets are beautiful but they were made even more beautiful by how utterly dog shit the live suits were <laughs> and like total lack of lip sync or, or in some cases even mouth movement <laughs> and they took their shells off quite often for the tours but the pl even then, the bits where the, the even the Henson suits fell down is where if you look at their necks, it does just look like they've got like green polo, like t well turtlenecks, I guess. On and then there's this hard line around the jawline and the back of the head yeah. where they haven't blended the heads on. And I know the mug one isn't a suit, but there were no seams visible on that puppet. It was absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's stunning. It's stunning. Even in 4K, you expect to see a bit of that. I, I you, honest... see a, you see a fishing line, Wallace points out. <laughs> yes. You see a fishing line. Well, point. yeah, that's another wonderful extra. You know, if you are an effects nerd, there's an interview with Stone Cold Genius Chris Wallace on this disc. And it's a, a beautiful conversation about his work and his relationship with Cronenberg, who he worked with on Naked Lunch, The Fly and Scanners. And one of the most thrilling elements for me was to see his sketches with the finished yeah. work sitting on the table next to him. Wonderful, wonderful extra. How did you feel about that one, Dan? Because obviously, you know, you know better than anyone. It was absolutely gorgeous. I, um, I, have, I have photographs of me with a mugwump. I was, I was chatting to, not to name drop, I was chatting to Ben Wheatley the other day about some upcoming stuff, and I, I can't remember the context, but he just sent me the word mugwump. <laughs> and I replied with a photograph of me with a mugwump, uh, and he replied with a photograph of one of the cockroach typewriters taken at Jeremy Thomas's house during the pre-production period for High Rise. For High Rise, yeah, um, exactly, yeah. And I and and I said, is that a, is that an original or is it a repro? Uh, and he said, no, apparently they were produced as toys in Japan. Oh no way! Oh god, yeah, I'd yeah. like to get hold of that. <laughs> Amazing, right? Yeah, I think that's about all I have to say about the disc and the the extras um, directly. But 
you know, final thoughts are this really is an essential addition to your collection. Even if you've avoided it, if you've heard it's kind of low tier Cronenberg, like I was <laughs> um, on my way to um, prep for this episode and stopped off at a grocery store. And I mentioned that, you know, I was going to be, you know, I had to get back because I was going to be doing this. Because uh, in America, I don't know if you know this, Dan, but people are very conversational at the checkout. Like they really oh, yeah. want to chat to you. Yeah, yeah. So, and I mentioned Naked Lunch and the cashier was like, oh no, that's my least favorite Cronenberg. Oh, it's, it's, you know, terrible, terrible. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> bye-bye. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that, that does Well, seem... you'll never receive my patronage again. <laughs> it probably will, because it's my favorite grocery store, but I, I will probably say less next time. It does seem to oh, be- Oh no, but this is, your, this is a challenge. You have to convert them now. Oh yeah, no, that's you true. have to yeah. subtly, subtly turn them around on this. Yes, uh, I'll I'll have a look online and see if there's a mugwump mask that I can wear next time I go in there. That would be a nice they, conversation the starter. Prop store sold a, a mugwump, and I was one of the ones from the opium den, so one of the full size. Like, oh yeah, hogtied bodies. Yes, and I was briefly, <laughs> briefly tempted. Amazing. Oh, I wish you'd got it. But yeah, wonderful movie. Doesn't deserve to be uh, as chastised as it is, in my opinion, and in Dan's opinion, too. We didn't argue about it, which is great. And uh, we'll see if we argue about Nightmare at Noon next time, which is going to be our next episode. But before we do that, let's make some recommendations based on the movie. Dan, would you like to go first? Though I'm nervous about I this one. I will go first. Um, well, I've got some backups, so you can you can have one of my backups if you need it. <laughs> um, I also have four recommendations, but they are um, each one is a film that comes with a piece of separate media. Right. Um, with it. So my first recommendation is uh, Liquid Sky from 1982. Good, uh, good. By Slava Sukerman. It's been released a couple of times in the States. Hasn't got a UK HD release. It's on Vinegar Syndrome in America at the moment. It's a sort of neon-drenched New York, boroughs-adjacent like like Cronenberg couldn't afford the body horror. <laughs> right. It's about non-physically present minute aliens that have come to Earth to resource harvest and what they need is on our planet heroin. But when they get here, they realize that better than heroin is the opioid that is produced in the human brain at the moment of climax. However, to harvest it, they have to kill the host. And it is a very thin plot, incredibly stylishly made, with a sort of synth jazz score that feels like the cousin of the Naked Lunch jazz score, set in the New York fashion scene in the uh, in the early eighties. And it's an it's a, like much like Naked Lunch. I actually rewatched it recently because we were going to be doing Naked Lunch, and I wanted to I wanted to take it in as a as an adult <laughs> i saw it when i was a teenager and again i think it was it was a little lost on me it's very harsh and brash but it's an ab- it's one of those really like amazing little time capsule movies and i love the aesthetic of it it feels like the the connective tissue between like early 80s new york counterculture films and anime at the same period mm, in yeah. some of the uh, in some of the aesthetic that makes sense um 
like it feels like a lot of the fashion characters and particularly their makeup feel like they could have stepped out of Cyber City, mm. the animated miniseries, OVA series. It's yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. It's very like I've basically told you 90% of the story. I think it's one of those movies that benefits from knowing a little bit about what's going on before you go in because it is so impenetrable at the beginning that I think you can be you 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 would be forgiven for being a bit like what the fuck is happening if you didn't have some of that info. And it's got some quite impressive optical effects, early optical effects in it as well. So yeah, I, I, I love it. Absolutely worth it. pick up the vinegar syndrome, or uh, hopefully we'll see it turn up on um, on the Arrow player because they obviously carry some of the vinegar syndrome stuff from time to time. They do indeed. Yeah, yeah. Great, great recommendation. Perfect pairing with this film. I am going to talk about a film that Arrow has released, and it's a film that we've covered in the past, so I won't go too deep into it. But uh, it's another one of the best adaptations of an impossible book ever filmed: Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, which feels like a bad trip, much like Naked Lunch, with a perfect performance of an author avatar at its heart. I love Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. It is up there with Naked Lunch for me. And if you want to hear us talk more about it, we've got a whole episode on it um, somewhere in the uh, Arrow Video archives. So, um, yeah, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I recommend it. Dan? What's next from you? Well, I'm very glad I had some spares because that was my next feature. Oh, amazing. Um, So instead, I'm going to recommend a book and an album. Oh. The book is another unfilmable novel. I'm hoping one day it will get made. I think it would make a fantastic prestige TV series. I'm not sure how you'd ever fit everything into a film. I first read it in 2001 while travelling on the road in the States for a job. I'd just finished Cities of the Red Knight, which I think is probably my favourite Burroughs novel, and I went straight into The Infernal Desire Machines of Dr Hoffman by Mm. Angela Carter. Mm -hmm. I would say it's one of, if not my absolute favourite, fantastic realism. It's set in a slightly undefined historical period outside of Egypt. A scientist has developed a machine that can turn your dreams into reality and he has turned it against a city in an aggressive act and everyone's dreams becoming real is breaking down the fabric of society because people are reprobates and so a man who is considered slightly outside of society is chosen to go and hunt down Dr Hoffman and stop this and so it's a sort of road movie but in this world where anything you dream anything you think about can become reality in a moment and it's absolutely wonderful Mm, excellent Excellent. i can't recommend it highly enough yeah no Um, i've never read it so yeah great oh you'll love it sam you'll absolutely love it and then the album i want to recommend is disposable heroes of hypocrisy uh featuring william burroughs from 1993 the album spare ass annie and other tales and it's ostensibly the disposable heroes of hypocrisy and rasai zulu putting together these amazing early 90s hip-hop beats with burroughs reading his own work mostly from naked lunch over the top and there's an amazing sequence there's a, there's only a few bits of the movie naked lunch that had lifted wholesale from the text of the book but there's one scene towards the end where a slightly truncated version of the story the man who taught his asshole to talk is is spoken in a moving vehicle and the the full version of that which I love so much and I feel Stephen King loved as well because there's a Stephen King short story that I feel lifts from it not lifts owes a debt of honor to it if you listen to the whole thing it's absolutely wonderful it starts with his track wrinkled earlobes are a sign of impending heart attacks and it moves on from strength to strength it features a lot of dr benway stories and it's an amazing album and burroughs has a fantastic and charismatic voice even at the age he was in 1993 
Absolutely, and I I think you're a hundred percent right about the the King connection, and that's just it's something that Stephen King does or did. That's part of his kind of magic, I guess. Is he's got good taste with books and short stories, you know, whether yeah. it's Earth Abides kind of turning into the Stand or Stars My Destination turning into what's it called the Jaunt that um yes, that short yeah, yeah, story, which amazing amazing short story if you haven't read that. But I'm I'm going off yeah. track. I'm going off track and uh, I am going to recommend my next film, which is Lost Highway. Naked Lunch might be Cronenberg's most Lynchian movie. So I think I have to pair it with Lynch's jazziest movie, Lost Highway. (laughs) It's an impossible film to describe. You have to experience it much like Naked Lunch. And it's similarly divisive. People put it towards the bottom of uh, Lynch's filmography, along with probably Inland Empire. But um, I love both those movies. They're both transgressive, hypnotic masterpieces for me. So, yeah, Lost Highway is actually one of my comfort films in a similar way to Naked Lunch. So, yes, Lost Highway. If you haven't seen it, I deeply, deeply recommend it. All right, let's move on to films that we've been watching in the past couple of weeks. Dan, why don't you go first? What have you seen recently? So it's already out in the States. I think by the time this episode goes up, it will either just be about to come out or will have just come out in the UK. But a friend of mine over at Sony very kindly sent me and Jen advance tickets to go and see Sisu at the cinema, Ah. um, which I hugely enjoyed. It has a single strand of narrative <laughs> and very little in the way of meaningful dialogue. It also has a a Nazi commandant, an SS officer, who who looks way too much like a member of the effects community for me to not be absolutely obsessed with it. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's an absolute delight. It's it's constant ridiculous bombast it it escalates and escalates and escalates and gets sillier and sillier what's it about dan what's it about a cross (laughs) finnish commando who has ostensibly missed the second world war after taking himself out of society because his wife and child were killed during the winter war the uh the, the war between russia and finland preceding the second world war that he and he's become like a gold miner and he lives out in the wilderness with his dog it's quite modern-looking Labradoodle, I think it is, and uh, and he's and it's 1944, and the Nazis are retreating through Finland, and they cross paths with this man, and they see his gold as their ticket out of what they suspect is the inevitable military trial and subsequent hangings for the Nazis and their behaviour during the Second World War when they lose the war, which they correctly predict is going to happen. So they the the movie starts with them crossing this man to steal his gold without realising that he is. All of those mythical Nazi-killing individuals from the, uh, the the cold European countries that we occasionally hear stories about. Excellent. And you say it escalates and gets crazier and crazier. The, in the in like the second action scene, he throws a landmine like a frisbee and it hits a Nazi in the face. Fantastic. Excellent. Yeah. Great recommendation. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to uh, I'll have to get myself to a cinema to see that one myself. And weirdly, it's really worth seeing on a big screen. And if you can see it like a like a you know as close to possible as a midnight screening. Yeah, perfect. Well, weirdly, that leads in very nicely to my first recommendation from the past couple of weeks, which is also out in the states and has also just been released in the UK. It is Bo is Afraid, which is both a one star movie and a five star movie at the same time. It is about the anxiety and guilt of growing up with a narcissistic parent. It's almost as stressful as Uncut Gems, and it features one of the best 
first 40 minutes of any movie I've seen in the last 10 years or so. I do wish that had been the whole film, but it might have killed the audience. Uh, that that stretch is truly spectacular. For me, it loses a little bit in the middle and then it brings it all together for the maddest final act of the year. I won't spoil a single second, but there are moments from the last hour I will never, ever forget. It's awesome. It's terrible. It made the entire audience I saw it with on Mother's Day, by the way, leave the room (laughs) in a palpable cloud of shame. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever experienced anything like this before in a cinema like when the lights came up it was like we'd all just been watching pornography or something like there was such a weird atmosphere (laughs) um but yeah i hated it and loved it and i need to see it at least five more times before i decide what i think of it i'm glad we're talking about it on the naked lunch episode it's that kind of film it feels like an author avatar movie that's going to divide people and then people will come round to it in you know 20 or 30 years um someone needs to check on ariaster's parents make sure they're okay Bo is afraid i recommend it dan i can't wait can't wait to hear what you think of this movie when you see it well the audience may have to wait until not the next episode but the episode after but i I do intend to see it as soon as i'm able to next for me i was very lucky to be invited over to dublin recently for the iftas the uh, irish film and television academy awards and and while i was there i took the advantage to catch up with uh, amazing director paul duane who I have known via phone calls and not quite working together uh, and lots of Twitter conversations, but we'd never met in person before. And we had a a fantastic time catching up, uh, so much so that we did it again the next day. (laughs) But while we were talking, obviously, as as you, you you, Sam, and so many of our listeners will be aware, when you meet a kindred spirit, the first sort of five hours of any conversation you have is a ostensibly just bullet points of film titles, just excitedly telling each other about films. And and Paul recommended a film I'd never seen. I mean, he recommended a few. And I got to do the same, which was very nice. But I got home and I immediately put on one of the movies he recommended. It's another Vinegar Syndrome title. The It's the third in a trilogy, loosely. It's an Italian horror film, so, you know, they don't necessarily have to be particularly connected. But the first two have been released by Arrow. So maybe it will be released by Arrow. But if not, maybe it will turn up on the player because it's a Vinegar Syndrome title. It is Jeff Quinty, <laughs> not his real name, Beyond the Door 3. Oh, have you yeah. seen Beyond the Door 3, Sam? Because I, I fucking hadn't, and I don't know why I hadn't. I have seen it, yeah. Um, I think I saw I think Shay has it on tape, actually. But it's it, also... Yeah, it's a very VHS-y movie. Yes. What yeah. a treat. Yeah. Like, amazing, like, <laughs> 1 to 32 scale miniature effects, some surprisingly good practical makeup effects. The entire thing feels like you've just been struck in the back of the head. It's like a mad mix of like <laughs> of speed and also like Rosemary's Baby and also uh, like having eaten too much cough syrup. Yeah, it's an incredible film. A, a group of teenagers, for reasons that are thinly explained, find themselves in an Eastern European country and uh, and they board a train or most of them board a train, which then goes fucking apeshit and there's all sorts of satanic backstory that comes up and just so much amazing crazy like dream horror imagery which is so rarely justified I don't mean unjustified as in it's bad I mean unjustified as in it's literally not explained why it's happening 
Yes. Um, and then towards the end, when they do sort of explain why it's, why stuff is happening, it's it's very much a, a a doily on an oil slick as far as like tidying stuff up goes. <laughs> yeah, it's just wonderful. Really, really fun. Really, really weird and wild, and um, yeah, it's and it's very it, quite competently made. Yes, absolutely, and it's got an ending that you know normally I don't like, but uh, it works in this context. Yes, but we won't say any more than that. But yeah, definitely um, a, a fellow recommend from me. Great, great movie. And um, we're now going to go from the ridiculous to the tragic. We're back on Bleak Fest uh, 2023 because I am going to recommend. Uh, a very sad and disturbing documentary about street kids living in Seattle in 1984. It's called Streetwise. Um, I saw it on the Criterion channel. Uh, it was recommended to me by a cartoonist named Josh Simmons. And uh, Josh's work is very, very similar to Bo is Afraid, actually. Like the first 40 minutes of Bo felt like an adaptation of Josh's work, which is really interesting. But yeah, he recommended Streetwise to me. And it's both a time capsule and a warning. There's really dark and disturbing stuff in here, but it flows with the poetry of fiction. These conversations feel like dialogue in the darkest drama, but the fact it's real or uh, as real as an edited documentary can be means that it really leaves a mark on your psyche. Make sure you're braced for it. But if you do need another title to add, to Dan and I's recent Bleakfest marathon, Streetwise from 1984 is it. It's a, a very, very impactful documentary. But yeah, make sure you're ready for it. Dan, what's next from you? Do you have anything else? No, you that's don't. all. That's all of that's them. That's it. We're done, done, aren't we? Hey, it's the first time I've gotten confused for a while. Extra features, extra features, extra features. <laughs> extra features. All right. No Nothing. extra features from me. Nothing from Dan. Here's how you can follow us on the internet. Dan, you go first. I am at 13fingerfx on both Twitter and Instagram. I've been a little quiet again recently. That's about to change. Yeah, give me a follow. Shout at me. I'll send you pictures of me and a mugwump. Fantastic. I'm at samashers23 on Instagram. Uh, not massively active at the moment, but that might change soon. Who knows? And yeah, there's always VHS Quest on Patreon if you want. I think we're up to 130 recommendations now of weird and obscure movies. And Shay is joining me weekly now. We had so much fun recording the Arrow video podcast. And also (laughs) we had some like sound issues that we wanted to get right for the next time we're on Arrow. So we've been practicing by doing uh, VHS Quest every week together. And it's been really fun. And the sound is excellent. And the choices are bizarre. So yeah, VHS Quest patreon.com forward slash vhs quest it's four dollars a month if you want to listen to shay and i talk about movies every week all right that's it unless you have any final thoughts dan i got nothing join us next time for nico masterakis's nightmare at noon oh it's a good one it's a good one thank you so much for listening and we promise to be more professional next time next time bye-bye bye, <laughs> bye. <laughs>